Welcome to season six of A New History of Old Texas, A Man for Texas. I'm Brandon Seal. Cries rang out in the night as 300 horses came stampeding through their camp. Lipan Apaches, the Tejano guide explained to the startled French scientist before turning to their Comanche companions to coordinate a defensive perimeter. The Tejano punctuated his fluent Comanche with the hand gestures that accompanied the plainsman's speech. And though no attack came that night, the Frenchman's heart was still racing the next day when the combined expedition of scientists, Mexican dragoons, and Comanches picked up the trail of the bison they were really after. As they followed it north that day toward the Guadalupe River, the Tejano led the party in tracking and killing a bear, a deer, and just as light was fading, two bison. The next day, the party came upon the trail of a wolf, an increasingly rare sighting in these days, but even rarer because this wolf was completely white. It was an animal of unspeakable sacredness, and it must be symbolic of something, but neither the Frenchman nor the Tejano felt qualified to interpret it. It was also just the kind of thing that seemed to happen, the Frenchman had come to appreciate, when you were around José Francisco Ruiz. The French scientist had spent the better part of a year now with Ruiz, the Tejano guide for this expedition, and yet he never ceased to be amazed by him. Ruiz was comfortable, it seemed, in every corner of this uncomfortable land. In addition to Comanche, he spoke passable English, Lipan, and even bits of Cherokee. He could tell the difference between bison and cattle tracks, even on the rockiest terrain. And he even tried to teach the Frenchman the difference between the hoofprint of a riderless horse and a mounted one. It hadn't worked, which only left the Frenchman all the more impressed. At this point, they were only a few days into their hunting expedition, which aimed to kill enough buffalo to feed the San Antonio Presidio Company for the upcoming winter. After a few more days, their Comanche companions broke off and went their own way, as the expedition was now entering Lipan Apache country. The two great horse peoples were still wary of each other, as seen by the commotion a few nights earlier, but they'd lived largely at peace for most of the last decade. A peace, incidentally, brokered personally by the same José Francisco Ruiz, and consummated by a trip all the way to Mexico City with both Lipan and Comanche captains, where they were received by the newly coronated Mexican emperor. Ruiz had been tasked by the newly independent Mexican government in 1822 with ending the war that the Lipanes and Comanches had been waging against the prior Spanish administration in Texas. A proxy war, also orchestrated, to some degree, by Ruiz, from his exile in Louisiana following Tejano's defeat at the Battle of Medina in 1813. The Frenchman had been warned by Mexican army officers about the savagery and untrustworthiness of the Lipan Apaches. Yet he experienced none of that when he rode into that first Lipan community. Was it Ruiz's charm at work? his reputation. The party was greeting with nothing but cordiality. Ruiz explained to the Lipanes that they were passing through on a hunting trip, which the Lipanes understood perfectly well, and a few young Lipan companions decided actually to ride along with them. Not far outside the Lipan community, the expedition came upon the trail of a lone rider. What is it? the Frenchman asked, observing Ruiz dismounted and hunched over in the dust. Someone else is out here, Ruiz responded picking at hoofprints on the ground. A savage? the Frenchman asked, resorting to a rough translation of the French word for these so-called Indios Barbaros of the Texas Plains. No, a soldier. He's carrying a rifle. The Frenchman looked around, expecting to see a mounted soldier on the horizon or something, but he saw nothing. How do you know? Well, he's carrying his musket across his pommel, Ruiz said, 
and then pointed at the broken limbs on either side of the faint trail. Savages treat their muskets better than that. Sure enough, a few hours later, they came upon a lone soldier, musket laid across his pommel, out hunting as well on behalf of a different Mexican military unit stationed up on the Pertinalis. The lone soldier was kind enough to put Ruiz and his company on the trail of the bison herd that he was tracking, which the dragoons soon took off after loudly and clumsily. Ruiz peeled away from the soldiers and picked out a young calf on the edges of the herd. As the dragoons riled up the circling mass of buffalo with their pointless maneuvering, Ruiz quietly rode down the calf, dispatched it, and fed the entire party that evening. The Frenchman didn't really doubt it, but he had to wonder if all the stories that he'd heard about Ruiz could really be about the same person. Supposedly, Ruiz had been a part of a group that declared Texas independent in 1813. He had personally cut the throats of some of the Spanish officers that had ambushed the great father Miguel Hidalgo. He'd been left in command of the Tejano forces at the ill-fated Battle of Medina and almost turned the tide of the battle with two late desperate charges. It was a well-known fact that after the battle, he led dozens of refugees and much of his extended family into exile for nearly a decade in Louisiana, which is where he reinvented himself as an Indian trader. His decency, his fairness, and his hard-won experience dealing with many different kinds of people had made him, the Frenchman eventually realized, perhaps the most well-known man in the state. When immigrant Indians from the United States started arriving in Texas in the 1820s, they quickly learned that the first man they should seek out was Ruiz. Quote, good man, no lie, good friend to the Indians, Ruiz, end quote. A decade later, Sam Houston would reaffirm this reputation, recognizing that, quote, the great influence of Colonel Ruiz with the Indians and his perfect knowledge of their character entitle him to be consulted in everything important, end quote. By that time, of course, Ruiz had been elevated into the Senate of the newly independent Republic of Texas. There were a number of Anglo-Texans serving with him there who remembered appreciatively Ruiz as the Mexican military administrator of East Texas and his kind treatment of them when they were in the minority, when they were, in many cases, there illegally. This memory went a long way toward preserving the status of all Tejanos as citizens of this new republic. The hunting party followed the bison trail west for another week, and Ruiz eventually showed the dragoons how to use the morning fog of early winter to sneak up on bison bulls, and to then take your shot at them from behind the protection of a nice, thick tree trunk. Within a few days, the party had taken and dried enough bison meat to provision the Presidio. They returned home, just in time for Christmas, on what was, for the French naturalist at least, the most memorable hunt in the history of Texas. And yet, just a perfectly ordinary sampling of the action-packed life of José Francisco Ruiz. Ruiz's career framed the most turbulent period of Texas history, and he found himself at the center of the action at almost every turn. At least four times in his life, he'd have to pick sides in life-or-death political struggles for the future of Texas. He was intimately involved in both the 1813 and 1836 Texas Declarations of Independence. He was actually the second man to sign the latter. Indeed, it's fair to wonder whether men like Stephen F. Austin and Jim Bowie, who were each part of Ruiz's larger kinship network, would have declared for Texas independence in 1836 if Ruiz hadn't endorsed it. Unlike with Austin or Bowie, for whom the payoff of Texas independence was pretty obvious, Ruiz represents how much more profoundly complicated the Tejano decision matrix was in 1836. Indeed, at each decision point in Ruiz's life, it was altogether unclear which side he should choose. 
or Ruiz, like most of us in life, each decision was about trade-offs. And I'm not so sure we can say that Ruiz always chose right. I'm not even sure that he would say so. This season will highlight the most momentous and action-packed moments in Jose Francisco Ruiz's momentous and action-packed life in an attempt to better understand him and his moment in Texas history. What was it about Ruiz that always seemed to place him at the center of the action? What made him the man to whom Tejanos, Anglos, and Native Americans all turned in these uncertain times? And what can we learn about old Texas and new from his life? But most importantly, this season is based on my friend Art Martinez de Vara's recently published biography of Ruiz, entitled Tejano Patriot, in which we have just recorded in audiobook form. If you want the full background and more extended discussion of all the items that we're going to touch on in this season, go look for Tejano Patriot on Apple Books, Amazon, Audible, or wherever you listen to your audiobooks. And in the meantime, join us this season as together we endeavor to understand Jose Francisco Ruiz the man for Texas.